welcome to Women Express. I'm your host, Denise Harrington, and we're at it again. It's exciting to know that in our day and time, the most important thing to understand about our world, especially here in the United States, is that we're diverse. And diversity, specifically with women, is really a trending and an important trend that's making a difference in how we lead as women, how we work as women, and what we do to change our world as women. I'm fortunate today to be talking to Dr. Lauren Sanchez Gilbert. She is a disruptor. I love anybody who's a disruptor and a maverick. So I think I'm one of those things, if not both. Not only does she help others in her world, but she helps others to see themselves in a bigger way in her world. And she has a slant in technology. And I'm not going to jump into that yet because I think that's a real great highlight for us to talk about. But she's one of many women innovators and leaders, and she's a Latina in the tech industry. She was, and now she's the CEO of Bell Excel, which I'm excited just to talk about the name, the name Bell Excel. I mean, that's pretty exciting. So we'll give you a chance to talk about that too. But I really want to give a warm welcome to Lauren. Lauren and I talked in October in a pre-interview and we've gone through Christmas and colds and the flu and all the things that some of you out there have gone through in the last few months. <clears throat> but I'm very, very excited to share her journey with you. And I want to give a warm welcome to Dr. Lauren Sanchez Gilbert. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Denise. I'm really excited to be here. And since our last quick conversation that we had, we were talking about this podcast, I've thought even more about it and how much I appreciate this opportunity to be able to talk about being a, a female leader and especially a female leader in this industry uh, so that hopefully you know, other women can learn and, and be bold enough to, to join me on this journey. You and I just had a kind of catch up conversation just before we began to record. I said to you, I, I, I have to admit, I don't every day, and I'm in corporate suites all the time, C-suites all the time. Number one, I've never met a Latina CEO. That might say something about me. Maybe not. No, it said something about the space. <laughs> it says something about the space, and I agree with that. And And not only CEO, but you led a team and lots of teams in the tech industry as a Latina. And we all know that women in tech, that all by itself has, since I started doing what I'm doing, that's taken, what, 30 years of experience. What, 20 years ago, there were maybe four right. women in general in Silicon Valley, let alone have having the diversity that we now have, not only in Latina, but African-American CEO women. So tell me about that journey. I, I'd like to start out with that because I think that's, it's not unique, but it's certainly is rare air and I want to know what that felt like and what it feels like to be in the tech industry and being who you are as a Latina. Absolutely. And uh, I think what's most interesting about my journey is that I didn't start in technology at all and didn't enter in the space until I was 40. So wow. it, it, you can uh, have you know, 
trajectory changes that you would have never anticipated. If I went back to my 20 something year old self, I would have never predicted this being the, the course that I'd be on, but yet here I am. Um, I started out as a special education teacher actually in, in New Mexico and uh, in, enjoyed that, didn't teach too long, but came out to Massachusetts area where I spent a chunk of my career in um, public schools and as an administrator then went back to school and thought I needed to do something different, um, you know, change the trajectory, but wanted to stay focused on youth. And so our technology software is actually a financial uh, management and curriculum solution for the out-of-school time space, such as camps and summer school, um, after school, et cetera. So still wanted to stay in the space, but do it differently. And so mm -hmm. that's, uh, I joined Bell, it was called Bell at the time, I joined Bell Excel and uh, knew that we, that this, um, organization had something magical about it, but we couldn't grow because, you know, brick and mortar uh, way of growing is really difficult. Yeah. Knew that the solution was going to be technology. And so I took even at that time, additional classes and learned about product and product management and engineering. And I don't pretend to be an expert on all of those things. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a product person, but you do have to learn enough about everything, you know, mm -hmm. defining what's enough is the magic. <laughs> But you do. So you, you know, educated myself and then started the process of, of pitching and uh, was uh, uh, the first pitches that we had were were I look back and it, it is laughable. It's no wonder they looked at me and said, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, who is this person? <laughs> who is she? Where did exactly. she come from? Can we yeah. put her back in the box and send her away. Right. But you have to have that belief in yourself and the tenacity of what you're doing. And also mm -hmm. it's okay to fail. Uh, and in fact, you need the failures to succeed. That's how you actually get to that end place. Right. But the only failure is not learning from it. You know, so each time you're, you're failing, you need to revise, rethink, re-strategize, and then go at it again. And we were able then to you know, receive funding and we're able to build a platform. And now it's been um, started some years back, but it's been really highly viable in the last couple of years, which has been incredibly exciting. Uh, it says that you've started, you've helped over 20,000 educators with programs that are really basically, or and in 35 states, they're basically quality out of school programs. Explain that to me a little bit. And that's where you saw the convergence of education and technology. That's where you're saying the two actually came together. Is that exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, kids spend a huge portion of their time outside of the school day, and that can have a, a, a very big influence on their end life trajectories. You know, for example, Kids who are consistently involved in out-of-school time enrichment activities and camps and tutoring, you know, it, and it could be a space camp, it could be a yoga camp, it could be an archery camp, but they need to be involved. And when they are, they're 400 times more likely to apply and go to college than those that do not. Seriously. And it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and it's something that, you know, upper income and your very fluent families have long known because they have long involved their children in all of these activities. And you start to see your more, um, you know, upper middle class and middle class also recognizing that. And it's starting to create a gap, an even bigger gap. There has always been a gap, uh, but it was starting to get minutely better. And then when this started to really, we saw um, these families invest significantly more in their children in these out-of-school time activities, you saw widening uh, of that gap again, which is just very unfortunate. Yeah, mm. so 
you know, so we really push towards, uh, you know, for having equal access to out of school time for all children, despite, you know, your economic situation. And then secondly, it needs to be high quality because what the research shows us that low quality programs actually have a net detriment on your outcome. So oh. if we could also provide, you know, some programming, especially for low income children, and it's low quality, we are doing them a disservice, not a service. So our goal was to take all of the research that we knew, build it into a platform that quickly transfers knowledge, allows payment systems and all of those pieces that you need, makes it really simple, but really creates systems change behind the scene. And that's what we've accomplished. So this is teacher-led or is it family-led or both? But the families use it to register their children, to monitor their accounts, to see what's going on, to communicate with the staff. There's a staff communication app. They can send pictures, et cetera. So they, the family uses it in one direction and the staff use it to create the registration. But then it also includes curriculum, professional development, um, all of the management and measurement tools to understand how their program is doing. So it is a true end to end system to provide a really great, safe, high quality program for kids that everyone is involved in. That's great, that's great. So what would you say the age ranges are? Uh, it's largely, you know, preschool to, you know, upper elementary, but can go all the way through high school, depending mm. on what type of programs they have. So it's early education. You really believe in getting them going earlier. And... Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So by the... yeah, research wonk and, um, you know, really interesting research is by this gentleman named Ross Chetty. He's an economics professor out of Harvard and does a lot of studies on what creates uh, upward economic mobility. And his research has shown that what happens in the early grades and down to the detail of your kindergarten teacher can have some of the biggest effects on your economic potential as an adult. Oh, crazy, right? Seriously? Yeah. That's really, well, I'm asking, I'm saying seriously, I'm like, seriously, this is important for us to hear this kind of thing. Our kids are, I believe, are at this day and age really in need of services that give them alternative ways to think, more expanded ways of being, and more expanded ways of expressing. Don't you think that this is true? Absolutely. And the out of school time space can have some more flexibility than you do during the school space. It can create a different kind of connection with the adults that are serving those young people. So you have a real opportunity to have a high impact on young people. And when you think about it, when you talk to uh, adults and you say, who was someone that influenced your life when you're young, you know, name someone, how often is it a coach? It was a mentor. It was right. someone who led a club. Why? Because it can create a very different dynamic than, um, and often teachers too, but it creates a different kind of dynamic. And then if you can actually put intentionality around that, the impact can be tenfold. So what are some of the services that you offer? I mean, what are some of the things that the children learn or young people learn? Uh, we have an enrichment curriculum called, um, so our software is actually called Arly. Bell Excel is an umbrella of three entities. One is the software called Arly. And uh, that has curriculum in there. We partner with Scholastic for the academics. The enrichment is ours called Explorers. And that's where the, all the management system and the professional development lives. Then we have another entity called Sperling Center for Research and Innovation. And that is where we do our coaching, consulting, and third-party research. 
And then we have another newer um, program called RISE, and it's RISE Fellows, where we actually, um, and actually applications will be out soon if people want to apply to um, leaders in the out-of-school time space so that they can come together and convene and go through a, a high-impact fellowship program. And this one is specifically targeting rural and um, indigenous communities. That is so nice. That is really good. You're from New Mexico. So I you have a good feel for the indigenous communities. But I also think you're 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 serving 35 states. So you understand who are the ones that truly need to have this these programs. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, the the interesting thing is when you travel across the country, and in fact, I was just in Brownsville, Texas. You don't get much further south than there. <laughs> um, you know, right on the border and talking to families there and talking to them in Massachusetts or, you know, Alabama. And what is uh, always astounding to me is that there are 90% of, of what we want as educators and what we want as families are exactly the same. And there is so much tension, you know, really around how to provide that. If we could only have better dialogue, we would actually probably get along better as a country. <laughs> Uh, because well, at the end of the day, that's an understatement, understatement, when you talk to the people and you really have good dialogue and good conversation, some of those things disappear really quickly and you start talking about what really matters, you know, and mm -hmm. it's that, it's that trajectory for their children It is what's going on in their life. And uh, you can relate differently. And that also opens your eyes to why they see things differently in Brownsville, Texas versus Boston, Massachusetts, the environment's so different that your worldview just just changes completely. And so, you know, even when we think of our curriculum that we do, we try to really build that into the curriculum to understand that the child that's in Boston and the child that's in Brownsville have a lot in common, but they also have other things that are different. So how do we make sure that there's creating tolerance and understanding in the curriculum so they can too, hopefully one day grow up to be tolerant of each other and understand each other and wanna listen. And then two, recognize their worlds. A little bit differently so that we validate them in both places. Do you have an opportunity or an idea maybe of how these two worlds can actually cross? Is there any real opportunity for that to happen through your programs? We would love to be able to create some you know, um, professional learning communities with the adults and then maybe one day with the kids you know, as we continue to, to build our platform that is kind of on our wish list of features one day is that ability to create some possible Cross um, conversations and pollination between the, the two groups. Boy, could we use that? That's such an important right? thing. <laughs> really, I'm, I'm certainly start. I mean, I think most kids are pretty open and 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 wide eyed and really talk about innovators. They're the innovators for our future, but it's the process of of growing up. So I commend you for getting in there and getting this these ideas and these concepts and giving the children, these young people, an outlet for understanding at such an early age. That is really quite incredible. Now tell me, how did you get to where you are? You and I talked about what it feels like to be in the tech industry and be the only woman oftentimes and the only woman CEO. We, we laughed a little bit about that. Tell me about your story because you're a really great storyteller. Yeah, well, Thank you. Well, my uh, my daughter might disagree with you on that one. <laughs> well, I guess it's a great lecture. Of course you would. Um, right, right. Of course they do. Uh, <laughs> she she's a gem though. Um, 
she's a person I, you know, daily learn from actually. You uh, talked about the blame game, you yeah. know, as you were on your journey. We had a, uh, you know, as I said, we were an existing organization, but existed dramatically differently. And so I knew that uh, when I came in, that if we really wanted to be able to have high impact, we needed to think differently. And that was going to be through technology. Um, and and it did happen too. We had a 325% increase in what we were doing, who we were serving um, when we switched over to uh, becoming a technology company in essence mm. from what we were, which was we used to provide direct service to children ourselves. Mm, mm. But that is very different types of people. And so, you know, so it was a really a lot of faith and then uh, convincing those around you to go along with you is also a challenge because what I asked the board to go along with me on this journey was we were going to need to cut 60% uh, of our staff in order to do this. We were going to cut all of the um, entities that were almost close to 70% of our revenue. Oh, we were going to purposely shrink to wow. then bring in different kinds of funding and then grow dramatically differently. Uh, and I'm sure you can imagine what the first reaction what to that plan might be. But if you I think the air in the room got sucked out, right? Right. Because it can sound a little bit crazy, but you can't be afraid of really bold ideas as long as you have good strategy, some facts and, you know, and the passion to be able to deliver on it. You really do have to have all those, all three and, and it is validated by research, but I can say from my experience too, as a female leader, you're going to get more question on what are the, you know, the risk mitigation and what can go wrong and then the upward potential. And there's a really interesting store um, study by that's in Harvard business review that actually talks about women that are pitching or funding and where when women go to pitch to funders, that's exactly what happens. And it's off the charts, like 90 something percent of the questions that the investors will ask of the potential woman is all risk mitigation. Yeah. And 90 something percent of the questions they ask men who come in, men entrepreneurs are all upward potential of the business. You know, yeah. so my takeaway from that for women leaders is that yes, it needs to change, but you also have to know the reality is that's going to happen. So be super prepared, be ready for those questions, you know, think through what are all the risk mitigation. And then every time you put a risk mitigation out there, you say the upside potential with it every time. So you can get in all the same things as the male counterpart. You just got to go about it a little differently. Got to add an extra layer to you it. Be, yeah. You have to push, <laughs> push it yourself. You got to push your own. Those statistics are pretty interesting though, because at, yeah. at this point, our our the people who listen, the women that listen to us, I'm sure that they are sitting in circumstances like that. So that that research is really important for helping us bid and to pitch and to go after the higher level income that our companies deserve and that we deserve. So the whole blame game and letting the ego get in the way. Tell me about that. Well, I'm sure we've all you know worked in an environment when something goes wrong, it really, and it inevitably will. There is not an environment and not a setting I've ever been in where everything's perfect. And, and you're going to have things that are go wrong. Sometimes the wrong is little, sometimes it's big. Um, but what I found in male dominated cultures, especially, is that it becomes about who created the problem, you know, and then who is the person who's going to solve it and when, you know, and that can be incredibly destructive to culture. It can create a lot of animosity. You know, if you even think of some of the big companies and the way that they do performance reviews, you know, where there it was like the bottom will always be 
eliminated and the top, you know, they do that. I, I, I'm, I think it's for GE where they did this whole modeling that automatically can create quote competition, but it also creates an environment that can be unhealthy, that creates blame, that then focuses on ego and self self wins. And that is absolutely totally diabolically opposed to how women function That's we right. are collaborators that's we right thinkers we are problem solvers and we we think of the collective good we want to win too we want to win more i think actually but we don't want to i don't want to win we want to win and yeah. so when we go into those cultures and we read leadership books that are kind of framed that way you know, it creates a whole different environment and it makes, you know, puts women in a position to act a little bit differently and then can give a false perception of them not being capable of being a leader because they're coming about solving the problem differently than what is accepted in that type of culture. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, so we wanted to build a culture and I did you know, specifically, but the whole team of, we don't function that way. You know, we come about an understanding of, and we do this even in the interview process, it's a we culture. You know, we we strive towards goals. We put them out there where uh, we hold each other highly accountable um, to their part of the team, not highly accountable to your own piece. And then that, but that also doesn't mean that you are not um, personally responsible. We also put a lot of emphasis of, of each individual being personally responsible of bringing what they're supposed to to the team to get the, get to the solution. With all of that, it means that when a problem comes up, we're not dwelling on who caused the problem. We're not dwelling on, you know, that was you, Denise. And that was, you know, you, she said this and et cetera, et cetera. Um, It is highly focused on how to solve the problem and how to learn from the mistake. And it is a rare day than any mistake and any kind of error is singularly a person. It's usually a bigger issue. And so we that's try a good point. Um, that's a really good point. Very, very good point. I don't know if we talked about what early on in my career as a consultant, coach and trainer, I had a woman come to me for consulting. We didn't call it coaching in those days. Now, <laughs> now, nowadays, everybody's a coach. So we right. called it consulting in those days. And, and her purpose for coming t- to me was to I think she needed a sounding board. This was early on in my career. So it was probably back in the early 2000s, maybe the late, the late early 2000s, probably. And she was doing everything on that ladder that she was supposed to do in order to rise up to the next level. And she was a director at, at that time. I mean, just to go up to VP level for her, she had fought her way up to director on that ladder. And she had the same experience that she was pushing, 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 doing all the stuff, but she wasn't getting anywhere. And and she was getting no recognition because she was in that self model and women really do work better in collaboration. So it was that day that I came up with this concept because I, the concept of the spiral leadership model that I use when I'm coaching now with, with women and men, um, because I said, well, let's just look at the power of what bring, women bring to the table. We we work better in either circle, and I evolved that concept to 
spiral because the spiral means that you sit in the middle, yet you collaborate and empower the people around you. In fact, and you'll love this, Lauren, I, I did a little research around what spirals are made of. Powerful spirals, not only do they have the strong center of the person who's leading in the middle, but it's the powerful spiral has other powerful spirals within it that make it strong. So to get back to your, your experience uh -huh. of, isn't that, isn't that cool? Yeah. I call it the spiral right. leadership methodology that we use. And I know there are other people that use it, but I use it specifically for women because we are not good on the ladder. We are good in collaboration. We're great in team focused, you know, situations. I love this idea of you saying solve and learn. We are a we culture and not a me culture. Women will sacrifice sometimes unnecessarily and sometimes it's really not a healthy thing, Please. but we will sacrifice for other. And I love that you put in this other piece. We're going to, you can sacrifice for other, but you hold other accountable because we win together in team. So tell me more about that because that's it in a nutshell, as far as I'm concerned, that's it. It challenges the male model and really sets up for letting go of the male model, but being able to grab something that really works. Has that been your experience? Yeah, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I think sometimes people see it too as uh, releasing individual accountability. And that's what I think can make some male um, dominated cultural norms feel uncomfortable for some people. But in fact, it really doesn't. And in fact, I'd say it actually holds you even twice as accountable individually because you you are, uh, your team is dependent on you doing your part in a way that may feel differently in, than in other settings, you know, so it can be really powerful because then you have that end win uh, that everyone can collectively feel they, you know, they had ownership and a part of. But the, you know, the truth is at the beginning too, though, it's, it's creating good communication channels to create clarity of what you need understanding that sometimes that can get fuzzy, you know, when you're learning, you think you're being clear, you may not be being clear, you know, so allowing an environment to ask plenty of questions to create that clarity. And then there are times too, where I thought I was being really clear, I thought we were on the same page, and then it goes sometime, and you're like, you know what, I have to own the fact, and this is the part for us is also personal responsibility of owning and saying, you are right, I wasn't as clear as I thought, I didn't do that correctly. We should approach it differently. I might have dismissed something you said, you know, and and it can be uh, also a big, powerful part of a culture by allowing yourself to say that you're not perfect. You did make a mistake. I'm owning it and I'm apologizing for it. And let's, you know, let's move on. And it should never be seen as a weakness. In fact, never, again, never. And that can also be, I think, removed sometimes from more traditional cultures. It doesn't feel safe to ever do that. Uh, because you think the, you know, the consequence to not even from an employee type piece, but the consequences to you, the way it makes yourself feel um, as quote, weak is so much, is so powerful that I think people shy away from that. They do shy away. I mean, those environments, I think you said it earlier, those typical, well, traditional, I love the word traditional yeah communities in leadership are really all about the person at the top and not necessarily about the people that support the person at the top. And I've also found that when women are in leadership, such as CEOs, 
sometimes we get to those places, senior VP, VP, EVP, and even in the C-suites where we find ourselves just isolated because we're playing from the male play model playbook or the para paradigm. And that really doesn't work. There are aspects of it that work, but it really doesn't work for us as fully as if we embrace the model that you're, you're recommending today. I'm so appreciative because when I can find someone who actually lives that model that I talk about, the spiral leadership model, I think it's, it's unique, it's rare, and I think it's a really great gift that you are giving us in an example today. Tell me, how does, how does diversity, because we started out by saying, you know, it's kind of rare air to, to speak to a woman that is Latina and a CEO and actually leading the charge on a lot of fronts. I would say your, the charge on the educational front is definitely your, you can tell you get excited about that, but you have some really good leadership insight that I think is so important. What is diversity? How does diversity play in that? Well, it's uh, incredibly important. It's near and dear to my heart personally, but also to the entire organization, because we know even from a you know, bottom line revenue point of view that the more inclusive environment you are, the the better those companies tend to do. Uh, but we we define you know the way we approach diversity, equity, and inclusivity is we don't actually use the traditional kind of DEI type standards and, and approach. Um, we did it one time and kind of tried that. Um, you know, let's let's educate everybody. Let's uh, have almost it was kind of forced dialogue and so on. And and we realized from our people of color and those who were not, but it was me. My concern was more the people of color actually responded the most natively to it. They didn't like it, didn't like the approach, felt uncomfortable. And I thought, okay, this is a, one of those scenarios where I've got to own this was not the right approach. We need to think differently. We need to talk to our people to decide, you know, what is, what it works for us. Let's take all the noise out and think about what's going to work for us. And we really pushed on that intersectionality uh, and pushing on, on um, inclusivity. And how is it that you can empower people to bring the version they choose of themselves? And this is where we got some, some pushback and especially from our younger uh, employees of color, to be honest, they were um, more transparent. And I think really a bold in, in saying that, um, I should be able to choose the story I choose to tell and the and the way I want to articulate it um, based on what I want to bring to the table instead of having this pushed defining moment that we're doing this company-wide thing for. And I said, you know what? You That's are pretty cool. cool. You are right. Yeah. And so instead, we really want to take an approach um, and we've been working really hard to take an approach of allowing people to create an environment that creates the level of comfort that people need to bring the version they so choose to bring to the table. That's pretty big and bold. That's a bold intersectionality. That's bold. It is. And it's, it's, uh, we are not perfect in any of these things I talk about, are we, you know, we're not perfect, but, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to continually improve, continually try to strive, continually self-reflect, you know, on, on how we're doing as a collective entity. So we're trying, we've created, um, you know, some specific, a resource. We have a resource group that is um, purposely mixed and volunteer. The vo they volunteer. They're working. Uh, they are choosing the agenda. They're choosing, you know, the approach on how to actually create this environment. Starting with, they did a. Um, the first thing they wanted to tackle was um, that group's dynamic and having and creating a, an, a safe environment. 
And then the first tactical, we always think of things as tactical solutions, ideological solutions, right? And which one comes first is depends on what you're tackling. But they said, tactically, we need a vocabulary guide that we decide we want to use at this organization, despite what the world may say, this is what we're going to use within ourselves as our cultural vocabulary, our cultural norms, to start to create that kind of collective environment that makes it safe. And the other piece, too, is that the more that you create that collaborative space, the more that you do the teams, the more that you do the we and the wins, it naturally creates that inclusive environment that, that we're seeking. So it is a strong, strong formula for win within the culture. And I'm sure for the people that come to you for your help and your ideas, it's just, I, I'm, I'm actually feeling very inspired just listening to what you're saying. Because it's, as I said, I don't always run across someone who models the idea of, of we have to really work from center, but work as a group in a spiral. I like the idea of intersectionality. And I'm just going to say what you said. You said before you earlier. You said importance of intersectionality and allowing individuals to bring their full identities to the workplace. So, if I'm bringing my full identity to the workplace, how have you actually started to navigate? Because usually, that's you know where people get push up against the edge. Where oh my goodness, I've got to accept this person for who they are. So, how does that work, especially in the workplace? I would add this one caveat that we, we say they can bring whatever version they so choose to the table. So some people may purposely choose to say, I do not want to bring my full identity to the table. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has to be equally as acceptable as those that want to bring their full identity to the table. I and love it. As little as that sounds, that can actually create a lot of tension, you know, by some people may feel that uh, if you're in a particular um, group that you should all be bringing the same thing to the table. And the truth is, is that that's, that's not the way it should be. You should be able to self decide and self-determine what that means to you in a workplace, because some people in a work environment don't want to do that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been, uh, on the whole, when I think about, um, it, how it has impacted us to create that, that kind of space there has been moments where it's been challenging, where people have had to have some very difficult conversations, where we've had to, to have deep reflection on those difficult conversations. Um, but then you rise to the other side of those conversations, I think a, a different, you know, safer version of yourself. But if you've never allowed those conversations to be had, how do you get to the other side? And does this really impact productivity, do you think? Uh, I would say it makes it a far more productive place. What is interesting is when we were trying to do the previous kind of approach where you bring in, we brought in consultants and we were going to do DI workshops and all this stuff. I would actually say that that did not have a positive effect. It actually caused people to retreat and caused people to start kind of, you know, feeling uncomfortable. And, and so, you know, and it could be the it could have been, I think that it can work in certain environments and maybe it's the certain consultants. You could go on and on on what, what might've caused that, you know, that didn't work for us. You know, but when we started doing it from within and creating these other types of cultural norms, you know, we saw productivity increase significantly and created a greater trust within each other. 
and so that's I, all virtual, no less. All virtual, yeah. Well, you're a true educator <laughs> who has leveraged the technology right. virtual space. <laughs> we do, and we even have people internationally. And what we do too is we'll we'll do periodically too. We'll just put people in groups, and we give questions, and we say, you know, have dialogue with people that you don't normally talk with. Because in a virtual world, there could be I could go an entire year and never talk to you. That's true. Uh, there's just no water cooler hallway lunch opportunity to sure. do so unless you put intentionality around it. And we um, sometimes get really good at it and then we get distracted and we're like, oh, we haven't done that in a while. So um, we we try to remember to kind of circle back to understanding that you do have to do a little bit more intentionality when you're virtual. You really, really do. And I really, I could go on talking about that forever because I do believe that the virtual environment is here to stay and we just have to understand how to leverage it. And I love this concept of being intentional about creating the water cooler experience right. in the virtual environment. I just think it's so important. I'm, I'm flattered and I'm, I certainly am honored to talk to you. I do believe just from the moment, I hope the listeners get this too, and I'm sure they will, by saying that you really are a true disruptor. And there's so much talk about intentionality. There's so much intention that I can see that you have put into this process. So Bell, Bell Excel is, is, is really fortunate to have you as the leader. I uh, commend you on your leadership process and the different ways that you've chosen to lead and that you've decided that, you know what? I may make some mistakes in leadership, but I'm going to be held, holding myself accountable as well as giving people space to hold me accountable so that we can all grow. And I think that that's what creates a really, really good organization to thrive. And you know what? If you're telling me this is how your organization is functioning, I can only imagine that it will steep in defer by intention and ultimately seep into those those spaces of education for our younger generation and they can only be influenced by such innovative ways of thinking so i really appreciate that well i hope so that is part of our intent too is that you know we uh children even in an education setting are actually the byproduct of the adults around them it's and it's crazy when you say that but that is the actual truth yeah, you know, and so when we surround ourselves with people who are going to be positive in our lives, we create cultures that are positive. Uh, when you're in the schools or in these out-of-school time communities, you really have to remember the power that you are that you have as an adult and the influence you can have on that young person because they will uh, emulate what you're doing. They're going to be able to create their next version of themselves. So much based on those adults around them. Well, I congratulate you. I really am excited. And on a, on a kind of selfish note, the next time I do a webinar and I invite us a guest in for our webinar training for women leaders, I'm going to definitely make sure you're there because you do model the spiral leadership formula that I offer in the classes and I couldn't get a better example in you. So thank you so much. Yeah. And well, you know, by that story, I told you the higher level a VP level male that we brought into our organization and you'd been in technology and basically mostly male-led technology organizations male 
driven like 80% male and we're actually about 60% female. Uh, and he, after about a month, what I talked to him and he said, uh, I just can't get over it. I keep thinking it's not real. <laughs> and he's like, and then each week goes by and it, it's actually real. People really are nice. People really are helpful. They really want me to succeed. They're helping me solve problems. You know, he said, I just can't get over it. And that to me was the biggest reward I've had in a long time of just hearing that feedback from someone who came from a very traditional type of technology culture came into ours and he is just, and he's been here about three months, is just been over the moon um, with his ability to shape his world and how much he's getting done because the environment is so different. This, this, the way women lead works for everybody. It does. I'm going to say that again. The way women lead works for everybody. And there was just that study released. I think it's in, I just read it in Forbes saying that, you know, that women leaders outperform male leaders overwhelmingly in every situation in every, I think they had five dynamics or I think that's what they call them or dimensions led in every single one of those. It was off the charts. Wow. Yeah. If I, I have to find this. Yeah. Uh, it is Forbes. Okay. Uh, women are more effective than men in all leadership measures. According See, to that. That's the beauty of technology. She just pulled it up. I pulled it right up. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had it open because I like it so much. I've been sending it to people. Oh, send it to me. I will. I love to have that. I love to have that. I always would love that. And, you know, it's something that intuitively as women we know, but now everything is pointing towards the, the success of how we lead and why it's so important. So I appreciate that 100, 100 Ah, well, Dr. Gilbert, Lauren, Seth Sanchez Gilbert, I love that. Thank you so much for spending this moment with me. Well, thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, like, like this, that it is Sanchez Gilbert. That's my maiden name. That is very much in the, uh, I'm Mexican. And from that culture, you often take both last names. And so often in our space, we drop it, but I didn't want to. And so... I appreciate you not dropping it. And, um, you know, and this has been a phenomenal conversation. You are a true gem and I can't wait to listen to more of your podcast now. I'm like, oh my goodness, I know it's going to be on my playlist. Oh, well, great. Thank <laughs> you. That. And send it when it comes, send it out to your friends and let's really make this yeah. Women Express idea get out there because I really want to invite people who are, are disruptors or people people who, and women who innovate, women who are making the changes that are critical. These changes are critical for, for our lifetime. And I believe that women in leadership will change the way that we do everything. It really will. So thank you for being a dynamic model of that. Great. Thanks for having me here. And thank you for being the exact same thing. It's just so awesome and refreshing to talk to such a wonderful, powerful woman. You could probably stay here and say a whole bunch of um, I know, things, but right? I might have to go back to our class. I could keep going. Thank you so much. Dr. Lauren Sanchez Gilbert is our guest today. It's been fabulous. And we're looking forward to having you be with us again soon. Have a great day. Bye.